Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Frey from Bereavement Miracles. Uh, welcome to another uh, step meeting. Today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Cynthia Tulin Wilson. Uh, who will be sharing her story with us today. Uh, right now, we need to go through some formalities as we uh, do each and every week uh, for those that are joining me for the first time. Uh, this is uh, Bereavement Miracles. It's a 12-step uh, to unity and hope. Uh, with that being said, uh, try to answer three important questions with this program, why things happen the way they do, um, given the different circumstances, the things that shape us uh, as as a, a young person, uh, and how we perceive the world around us as we get older, and how we, as this term we use quite often, uh, reflex mode of action, meaning that the way we would react to a certain uh, uh, thing or an event, um, particularly those events that could be uh, tragic, uh, the, the death or learning some kind of information, as we'll uh, hear from uh, Dr. Tulin. Uh, she is an abortion uh, survivor, and we're going to kind of pick her brain and, and see uh, how this information that when it was uh, um, told to her by her mother, how it affected her life. So we want to know why, why things happen the way they do, the causation of things. And uh, then we want to know how, how we can get better as a uh, person, how we can uh, turn things around, how we can become from powerless uh, to more of uh, a, a sense of serenity and peace and joy, um, a, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of direction in life, uh, and of course, who? Who is the source and summit to our spiritual happiness? So uh, we're waiting for Dr. Uh, uh, Tulin uh, Wilson to give us a call, and uh, we'll uh, listen to her story uh, in just a few moments. Now, Bereavement Miracles, uh, Doctor, is a is a twelve step program, and and this is for our listeners uh, that are joining me for the first time. It's a it's a twelve step program that try to get us back on track again. It answers three important questions. Why things happen the way they do, uh, the, those circumstances that are surround us as maybe younger people, and how they affect our decisions or perceptions of, of life as we get older. And then we move from why to how we can get better uh, as a society or as an individual by understanding who. Who is the source and summit to joy and happiness in, in our lives, the spiritual goodness that uh, dwells within us? And so this is a, a program that is uh, that I've put together. I've written this book called Bereavement Miracles, a uh, 12-step program to unity and hope. And within that, uh, I focus in on why, how, and who. And through fellowship, those people that call in or the groups that I chair, uh, we help to, well, first of all, listen to people's uh, 
concerns or their difficulty, their grieving, their angers, um, those things that are preventing them from stepping forward. And we're, as I told the listeners, that we're really um, waiting to hear your story and how you have, uh, let's just, maybe the word is not the best word to use, overcome, but been able to deal with those things that you'll share with us. Uh, so Bereavement Miracles is a kind of a systematic approach to help us to get back on track again. So I'm going to go through just a few things. Um, and is it all right to call you by your first name? Yes, of course. Okay, good. So I'm going to read the, the preamble and quickly go over how this program works for those that are just joining me uh, for the first time. So, folks, Bereavement Miracles is a fellowship and that's important to understand, of men and women who share one common connection, the loss of a loved one, or as we've talked about many times, a traumatic event, uh, maybe it's a divorce or what we'll hear from uh, Cynthia today, uh, who is an abortion survivor, or maybe you've had or thoughts of suicide or whatever it may be, this place is a lifeline to you. So the goal of this 12-step program is that in the midst of sorrow, we can find peace, joy, and happiness in a sense of closure. So there's only really one requirement, folks, is uh, to have an open heart and mind and desire to help others in recovery, and that's really key. Uh, we can keep things as long as we give it away. So the ability to let go and move forward in one's life, it certainly will take time and effort, but if you stick with it, you'll soon find that. Uh, what this fellowship that we're talking about, the spirit, the indwell uh, of the Holy Spirit within us, shared with others, uh, is certainly centered in Christ, and it is uh, the source and summit to our spiritual happiness and well-being. So before we go any further, folks, please join me in reciting the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, that'll be very, uh, that we'll utilize that, uh, that prayer throughout our um, talk today uh, to help us to understand where Cynthia came from and where she is uh, today. And hopefully, and I would probably have to, would say that she is probably filled with a lot of serenity today because she uh, has grafted onto the who, which is uh, Christ. But before we go any further, folks, if you need a book or if you want a book, you want to buy a book or you want to run a meeting in your own local parish, you can buy these books on Amazon.com. And I would ask you to consider Amazonsmile.com. Why smile? Because you can designate some of the, the uh, profits of this uh, book or anything that you buy through Amazon, and you can designate it to go to a nonprofit organization, which I uh, have uh, elected Holy Apostles College uh, and Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut. So it's a great way to help support our seminary uh, in Cromwell. So if you need a book, you can go to AmazonSmile.com, or if you like to run a meeting, it's completely uh, formatted for you on page 10 of this book. Um, this is what we do in each and every meeting that we, I, chair uh, every other Tuesday in Meriden. And if anyone is listening, you're all welcome at 3 o'clock at um, Our Lady of Angels at 3 o'clock. 
Um, you're welcome. It's about an hour, hour and a half long, and um, we have we share a lot in common and fellowship. Now, if you want to buy 10 or 15, 20 books, uh, some, some, some people have, and they're running this program uh, throughout the country. You can go to Enroot Books and Media. That's Enroot booksandmedia.com and you can contact the publisher Sebastian, Dr. Sebastian Matthew and he'll be happy to give you a 40% discount in um, a number of these books. It would have to be at least 10. But feel free if you have any questions and certainly contact me. So how this program works folks is that within this fellowship we will find unity, friendship and a real sense that you're not alone. The fruits of this fellowship should encourage you to identify those same in common experiences in dealing with the death of a loved one or a traumatic event. Uh, and we'll hear uh, Cynthia's uh, story shortly. It's the hope that, that the guidance of this program inspires you to rely upon Christ as a full means to recovery. Now the sense of grief or anger uh, can often be accompanied by guilt, loneliness, and remorse associated with your loss or that traumatic event or experience that you have, are going through. Uh, and it can last for a long time. But we find that through the caring and sharing of each other's personal story, our state of mourning or grieving or a sense of anger will eventually improve because all things are possible through him who strengthens me and that his presence will fill you with joy and peace. I affirm that you have not been abandoned and God is indeed by your side. We understand that you're, what you're going through and together by sharing openly you will begin to trust in God's familial love and be not afraid. Therefore allow the sacramental healing in Cynthia's story of hope and unity um, through the Holy Spirit's love to bring reconciliation to you and that's, that's key and Cynthia will touch upon that as forgiveness. Now, Bereavement Miracles is a simple program. It's designed to help us find the mystical body of the church, which lives in the common good of one another, which emanates from the heart of Christ. As we go through these steps, as we have for the last couple of years, we'll have a new sense that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now, the loss of a loved one or any kind of traumatic event uh, can be very complex and very difficult emotionally. It's not easy, uh, but by uh, uh, working these steps, we'll achieve an understanding uh, that what we're going through is normal, but by sharing and caring with other people, we'll, we'll start to feel the healing power of the Lord. Now, remember, God does not ask us to understand. He really does ask us just to believe, one step at a time. And believe, uh, because I believe, will tether you and I together in the power of love and goodness far beyond our comprehension. And lastly, God knows what you're going through. He deeply cares for you and I and for all those uh, so much so that he died for us so that we may have peace and share in his devoted love. So please, folks, don't give up. Keep sharing and caring with others. And uh, let others know that we have this recording up, will soon be uploaded. And Cynthia's book uh, hopefully will be soon uh, published so that you can buy that and uh, read that. So that's how this program works. And as I have already introduced you, uh, Dr. Tulin uh, Wilson, to our audience, uh, 
I told them before you came on that you're an abortion survivor. Can yes. you kind of just tell us your story and how it interrelates with the sense of grief and anger and, and all that that people do go through when they, whether they lose a loved one or going through a divorce or whatnot? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was 11 years old, and I had what I thought was a happy family. You know, I, I loved my uh, parents, and I loved my grandfather who lived with us, although we were uh, born, I was born in the underclass, so really worse than lower class, lower than lower class. And, um, but I loved those people. And then one day when I was 11, uh, my mother sat me down, and told me that she had tried to abort me uh, mm. when she was pregnant, obviously. So in 1949, and uh, this was 19, it would have been 1961. So uh, she told me that she tried to abort me and that her father, the grandfather that lived with us that I loved, uh, had gone to the drugstore, he knew the pharmacist, and had procured a liquid that she drank. I don't know if it was a chemical or a medicine. And um, she was an abortifacient, so she did take it. And what happened is when she started to bleed, she stopped taking it because she was afraid that she would die. Mm. So uh, that day that she talked to me, that evening really, that she talked to me, my entire life changed because I had loved my family and I felt, you know, that they cared for me. And uh, then I realized that, in fact, they probably had not. So for many years, um, until I was actually 38, um, there was I, – I dealt with this by not feeling. So um, I have to say that what happened, and I've used this analogy before, that it, when she got through talking, it was – as if someone had turned a light switch off and the light left the room. Mm-hmm. So that was what happened with my emotions with her and with the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. So I never uh, really cared about them again. I did um, do the right thing as I grew up. I eventually took care of my parents in their old age and uh, tried to uh, to make them comfortable I did not, however, care for them, and I'm sure that they knew that. So they died uh, in 1985 when I was 35 years old, and I had been married for many years by that time. And so um, I ended up going to Rome uh, with my husband, uh, we, my husband Jimmy. We had decided to take his mother to Rome for her 75th birthday, so the whole family went. And while I was in Rome, uh, in one of the catacombs, I had a religious experience. And as a result of that, I converted to Catholicism the following year. It took a year. And it wasn't until that happened that I started to think about forgiveness and started to review what had happened in my life. It wasn't until then uh, that I reviewed my life and uh, really what I took away from, uh, initially what I took away from conversion was, if you're going to be forgiven, you have to be willing to forgive. Mm. And uh, that started uh, the process 
um, over, you know, over many years. And so now I have uh, reached the state where I pray for them uh, in the hopes that they will attain the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the story uh, in a nutshell. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of um, spontaneously ask you different questions mm-hmm. um, just to kind of get into your head. And uh, if, in, in, if any of my questions go where you do not want them to, just say, you know, pass or whatnot. Sure. Uh, but you made, a, you made a comment that you were a lower class, lower than lower. Now, when yep. you were a child, did you recognize that to be apparent, or is that something that um, you became aware of as you got older? I was aware that we were different, um, and that is because in the first grade, um, the, the teacher brought in some women's magazines, you know, I guess maybe like Ladies Home Journal or something or Better Homes and Gardens, so that we could cut the pictures out and paste them and make collages. And what I realized that immediately when I looked at the pictures of the houses was that I didn't live in anything at all that looked like that. And so I knew that we were, I always knew that we were poor, um, but I was not really, I wouldn't have been able to use the word lower class or, or underclass, but certainly... Um, I knew by grade one that we were not on the top of the heap. Mm. Would you say that you were happy, though, as a child? I know that in some mm-hmm. of your other um, interviews uh, mm-hmm. by uh, Ray and Carlos and Mary Ann, uh, mm-hmm. that you indicated that you weren't. Yeah, I I was overall, um, as any child would be. I mean, I had toys, um, you know, I liked to play. Um, I liked school. So um, it wasn't until I got this revelation uh, from my mother that I realized that something was really off kilter. Now, I always knew, again, from as far back as I remember, that there was terrible trouble between my mother and father. Um, my mother stayed at home. They had been beautiful people. They'd actually both been models when they were young. Um, but my mother, when she married, stayed home, and my father uh, was a serial adulterer, mm. and so the marriage had multiple problems and a lot of anger and a lot of uh, fights, which grew worse uh, as time passed because they also both drank. But um, I would not say that I was unhappy as a young child, but um, certainly... I knew something was wrong in the house. I knew we were lower class. And then um, eventually I found out that my mother had tried to kill me. Yeah. Mm. That that took care of the happiness part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I can imagine uh, Mm -hmm. something something traumatic uh, like that happening. I, at 11 years old, you brought to mind, mm-hmm. I, was, I was run over by a car, and it changed my life. Um, oh. and it was very challenging. Yeah. Uh, very, 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 very challenging. Um, yeah, no, no self-esteem or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, with your other interviews, uh, what stuck in my head was that you used the analogy of patterns, mm-hmm. that God speaks to us through patterns. So mm-hmm. now, um, 
Well, would you um, go on and um, explain your conversion? I know that about the bus, and but our mm -hmm. listeners don't, don't know much about yeah, that. Yeah, So we had taken my um, mother-in-law and the entire family to Rome. Uh, she had a desire to see the Pope and to see Rome, and it was her 75th birthday, so we took her. And I was not Catholic, so I said to uh, Jimmy that, you know, we could have breakfast together, and then he and his family could do the religious thing. And I, ha I wasn't anti-Catholic. I just didn't care. I wasn't religious. And I said, you know, you can go and do what you want to do, go to the churches, go to the religious sites, whatever, and uh, I'll go shopping <laughs> or go to a museum. Uh, and uh, I did plenty of both. But anyway, and then we'd meet it for dinner, you know. So we did that. And then towards the end of the uh, tour, he asked me if I would be willing to go on a bus tour, you know, you know, an individual, you know, as family. And um, I said, yes, if you can find one that doesn't have anything religious on it, which I assumed I had given him an impossible task. Uh, but he did find one. It was called St. Paul, uh, what, Rome Outside the Wall, Rome Outside the Wall. Mm. And um, so we went, and there was only one religious site, and it was the catacombs, and I said that I would just sit on the bus, you know. So uh, they went in, but there was no bathroom on the bus, and there was no air conditioner on the bus, and it was August in uh, oh. Rome. So I went into the catacombs rather than die of the heat, and... Um, eventually you know I walked through and there were some people having mass um, and I thought how weird it's not a Sunday but just kept going I uh, had no idea of daily mass uh, just kept going and eventually I joined the tour um, inside because you can't walk through the catacombs on your own you're apt to get lost so I caught up with them and the uh, tour guide uh, who was a priest um, took everyone into this little room with a, like a little kitchen table that was apparently an altar um, during the time of the, you know, that people were being uh, buried there and persecuted. And he told uh, the story uh, of the Catholic Church and of what was going on in the catacombs. Now, I, as I mentioned in other interviews, I have no idea what he said. Um, I just, I mean, I heard what he said, but I don't remember it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was like I had a ticker tape go through my brain that said, um, you know, the truth is where the church is. And truth, it was, I literally saw the words, and truth was capital, with a capital T, which of course meant nothing to me at that time. And then um, I thought, wow, you know, I mean, this, this is clearly not my imagination, I mean, I could tell that something had occurred in my mind that I had not started there. And, uh, you know, the only conclusion I could come to was God. And so I knew um, that I had to convert. And uh, I made that decision, as I have said in other interviews, between one heartbeat and another. Less than five seconds I made the decision. Mm. So... I didn't say anything at the time. I just wanted to think about it. I just wanted to really think about it, not about converting, but about what had happened. 
And so when we got back to the United States, uh, I told my husband that uh, he should call his parish priest. He was always a devout Catholic. And we would, uh, you know, that I would convert. And he started to laugh like it was the funniest thing I ever said because I had never shown any interest at all in converting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then I I converted over an 11-month uh, period. Uh, let's see, it was February 22nd, 1988 that I converted. Do you think um, a lot of things, the parallels are running through my mind. Do you think, um, that your sense of poorness uh, was the um, jet fuel that got you moving forward to consider um, truth as the way to understand uh, and to forgive? No. I think it was exclusively because of the religious experience. But what happened with my poorness is that I... Um, decided I wasn't going to stay poor. And so when I, I graduated from high school, I was the first person in my family. You know, neither of my parents graduated. Mm. And uh, I was the first to go on for a bachelor's degree. And um, that in itself is another story because my father, when he found out that I wanted to go for uh, college, to go to college, told me that I didn't have to worry and that when the time came that I wanted to go to school, um, he would pay for it. I didn't have to worry about the money. Um, At that time, he was working. He was a metal worker. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I sent my applications out and I found where I wanted to go. And I told him I'd been accepted, but there was no money. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, you know, it's another story, but it shows you know, how the uh, how the young life was for me. Mm. Anyway, it took me a while. Um, I finally did go to college. I graduated from UMass with a BA, and then I went on for an MA and a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, earned all of those in sociology. Uh, made a good living in the insurance industry uh, because of that. And then um, when I converted, I went back uh, to learn about theology, and I earned uh, 90 credit masters in the licentiate. Mm-hmm. Yes, for our listeners, would you just um, let them know, um, you know, what you do at Holy Apostles, what titles you hold? I um, am a professor of dogmatic and moral theology. I've been there, it'll be 23 years in August, um, and I am now the academic dean of online learning. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is growing leaps and bounds, by the way. It sure is. Yeah, yeah. we're doing very well. And yeah. it's it's enlightening to see how many people want the truth. I mean, it's truly yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I yeah. think maybe I um, – let me uh, rephrase this. You're um, poor in spirit, meaning that um, you're, you're, the way you grew up, you had a sense of – well, like the Beatitudes, the – uh, the, the poor in spirit will inherit the earth. Your mm-hmm. finger on uh, things that are different and it has mm-hmm. enabled you to see the wisdom to know the difference much more than other people and trust uh, those things that you can change and those things you recognize that you can't change. Is that Would you make that analogy? Uh, is that yeah. Yeah, I think that I've always had a very good sense of reality, and I make, um, this sounds egotistical, 
but I do have a sense of a good sense of reality, and I can very quickly see what can be done and cannot be done. Yeah. And if something is presented to me, I can judge it quickly as true or false. And I mean, certainly the ultimate uh, test of that is when God goes into your brain. And as you see the words, the truth is in the Catholic Church, and you know you're not going crazy, or it's something you've imagined, you know it's God. Yeah. You know, yeah. so the judgment was right on, you know. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yes, it's, it's interesting. What comes to my mind is the, the, the rich will have a tough time going through the eye of, the, of a needle. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, that, and this, this poorness I'm talking about is the same sense that I've had when I was growing up. Um, that I had an awareness for others, uh, Mm -hmm. that their pain became my pain. Mm -hmm. And it became my responsibility um, to offer up the how, how we can get better as a communicable society by helping Mm -hmm. one another through, Mm -hmm. you're doing this through teaching, I'm I'm doing it through other means. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that, uh, when you talked about patterns, mm-hmm. in my own groups, uh, which I run every other Tuesday at 3 o'clock at Our Lady Queen of Angels in Meriden, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that the ones, uh, the folks that are getting it are the ones that were most poor in spirit. They didn't yeah. have a lot, but mm-hmm. they, they had more of, of, of their fingers on the pulse of others. That's because they can empathize. Right. And uh, that makes me understand uh, a little better what you were asking me before because you asked me if I was happy or unhappy as a child. So I as a person was not unhappy, but the circumstances in which I lived were really atrocious. I mean, consider you have a husband and wife where the husband cheats constantly. They're both alcoholics. You don't have enough money, you know, that kind of thing. So um, in that sense, it wasn't happy. But I, as a person, was not unhappy until until later when I found out that I was uh, an abortion survivor. Of course, I didn't use that word because who would have, you know, or that phrase, who would have thought of it at that point. But, um, but yeah, and I think what that enabled me to do was empathize, but what happened after I converted, and that to me is what's important, is that the empathy had some place to go. So yeah. rather than say, gee, I feel bad for that person, you know, that got hurt, um, you know, or I feel bad because I saw something bad happen, I saw it on the news, you know, something like that, um, that you know who to go to to fix it. So when um, when I converted, and it took a while, you know, to, to really, it takes a while to mature once you become Catholic, mm. uh, to mature as a Catholic. And so um, I realized, you know, because I was thinking one day, you know, my mother's life was had to have been absolutely abominable. I mean, I cannot imagine as mm. a married woman how I would feel if I found out my husband cheated on me, repeatedly, no less. I I think I would go stark raving mad, and I think that's what happened to her. And so I was able to empathize, you know, here's this woman who by this time was, I think she was 40 or 41, maybe 41 when she found out she was pregnant the first time in her life, and she has this philandering husband, 
1949, when women really didn't do that much work, you know, they didn't get jobs, they didn't support themselves, and they didn't get divorced. And so she was probably in, in every way absolutely desperate and half crazy. So once I was able to figure that out, I was able to empathize, and that enables you to, you know, you begin to see what was going on there, yeah. and you can forgive, and, and you can pray for that person. You know, so that's, you know, and the same thing for my father. I mean, I think that my father was addicted to sex. He certainly was addicted to alcohol, but I think he was also addicted to sex. So given that, and I mean, you know, I, that came as a kind of revelation. I was at Holy Apostles one day. I was walking in our library. You know where the magazine room is or yeah. was. I walked into the magazine rack, uh, magazine room, and I looked at a rack, and there on the rack is this enormous magazine that says there is such a thing as sex addiction and I literally said to myself that was what was wrong with my father mm. I'd never heard the phrase before you know but again so you can you can think okay this person was addicted and probably couldn't stop if he didn't have help you know he didn't have a program like the one you're talking about you know and um, so you know you're able to forgive and it's yeah. that empathy that helps yeah, that poor in spirit, you know, I think it's it, it gives us that wisdom to know the difference eventually. Um, but would you um, say to our listeners that um, learning about the faith is essential? It's, it's critical. Oh, yeah. The more yeah. you learn, the more you can forgive, would you say? Well, you learn, the more that you learn in the faith, I mean, once you convert, or if you're already Catholic, and, you know, but it's a name only, once you start doing Catholic things, you know, you've, you've only gone through the door, you know, because there's a lot to learn and to, uh, to, en to enjoy, um, you know, and the graces that you can receive and the information that you can get that helps you. So there's a lot. That's not something that comes overnight for most people. So um, it, takes, it takes a while, and I think that that's something that you have to dedicate time every day. I mean, I'm 69 years old now. I've been Catholic since I was 38. So it's uh, 31 years. It was 31 years in February. And so um, I just look at that amount of time and it's like I have to spend time I not have to like it's a chore but have to like you're in love and you want to uh, I have to spend time every day not doing the academic work that I do but doing the spiritual work hmm. what another parallel is that I noticed uh, in my own groups that those that are late to convert to the faith are more filled with a zeal a, more of a fever than those mm -hmm. that were baptized and went through the uh, sacraments um, very young in life. Um, mm -hmm. it, there seems almost like there's a malaise that's covering their eyes that, uh, when we're talking about you know, what we have to do for the how, how to recover, how do we do this, what do we need to do, what we should mm -hmm. be doing. There, it seems to be um, a lot of um, okay, but they, you know, there's not much effort being put in by by some. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there has to be effort, and you have to understand that even when there's effort, I mean, even when you're praying every day, that doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, 
um, you know, feel different. You know, people make the mistake, I think, of expecting feelings. Mm. You know, sometimes you don't get the flash of insight. You know, that doesn't mean God isn't listening. Mm. Um, but uh, it's, you know, I think that there's almost an expectation that you'll feel different or that you'll receive some insight. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. Um, Cynthia, is there one particular class that seemed to tie a lot of other classes together um, that made it more understandable? Well, for me, when I started at Holy Apostles, the, the priest that I converted with was a wonderful priest, Father Stanley Smolensky. He was in Enfield, Connecticut. And um, I converted with him, and he said, you know, that summer, he said, I just got a registration form from Holy Apostles. It's a civil school. I taught there. Uh, one course he taught there. He said, I think you should go there because you have more interest than many people. And so I went. And unbelievable, though it may seem, I, I ended up in the first course I had was Christology, which now as academic dean, I won't let anybody do that because yeah. you need to know too much Trinity. Anyway, so um, one in Triune. So I took Christology, and I'll tell you, it did tie it together for me because um, I, I don't think I've ever used that wor- those words in relationship to it, but I think it did. You know, I loved it. I'd be there Tuesday and Thursday night during the summer, and I hated Thursday because then I knew I had to wait until next Tuesday to get oh, more wow. information. You know, and I mean, the professor was wonderful, Father Rudolph, and now that's the, one of the courses I teach online. And um, so he was, uh, he was just great. And... Um, I think, you know, you got the background. Um, I mean, I got enough of learning about one and triune there to kind of piece it together enough that I understood what he was talking about. Yeah. You learned about Mary. You learned about Joseph. You learned about the Holy Spirit, you know. And, I mean, so there was a lot in that course. And it really did, it tied it together. But for me, because it was my first course, it was also an introduction to all of it. Yeah. So, um if I, I think if I had taken that course at the, at, you know, the middle of my academic formation, yeah. uh, it might have even had more impact. But yeah, it really did, and I love that course. I teach that now, mm. and uh, I'd say it's a great course, but that would be a little egotistical. <laughs> yeah. But I do love the Christology course and the One and Triune course. Yeah, it, it's uh, interesting that again I keep going back to that word pattern, um, how God moved you in such a way, in a pattern, uh, to take this first course that kind of threw the accelerant on the, all, all the other courses. Yeah, um, yeah. There, you know, it's not by chance, and we know that as Catholics, that there is no such thing as chance. Um, you're right, you're right. Yep. Uh, and Well, yeah, you know, th- let me just say, you know, I work for Father Mosey. I've worked now for Father Mosey since uh, 1997. He's the rector president. He, I had my second, no, I had my third class with him. He had just come, he was a young professor. Now we're both old, <laughs> but he came as a young professor. And uh, he taught Vatican Council too, yeah. documents of Vatican Council too. And I took that course with him. I was like, holy cow, I never would have believed there was all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, he eventually became my mentor yeah. and... He helped me get through the program, 90 Credit MA, 
And then he helped me get into Dominican House of Studies for my licentiate. And when I graduated from there, he hired me. And I worked for him now. It'll be, um, what did I say? It's twenty. It's going to be 23 years. And uh, in August, it'll be 23 years. And so, you know, my entire Catholic formation has in some way been touched by this man. Yeah. He's a wonderful priest. Right. And, um, you know, so... That's, it's like this stabilizing force that I met when I was just really pretty young and stupid. I mean, I had the PhD, but I was, I was ignorant in the faith. I was just learning it. And he was just great. So, you know, there is a pattern there where the right person, I mean, the priest that talked in the catacombs, right. interestingly, he was, uh, he was Asian, I think probably Vietnamese. He had a cassock on. I didn't even know what a cassock was at that point. And now, here I am teaching in an institution where we have a large Vietnamese population. You know, and it's like, so I see a back and forth throughout my life. There are patterns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can, just, I don't, I don't want to take any time away from you, but just to mm-hmm. tell you a little of my story that I gave my sister a kidney uh, back, I think, in 90, let's say, 1990. Uh, she she was um, a, uh, diabetic, and uh, oh. so we became very, 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 very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, to watch her um, basically uh, die before you um, mm. it was very, very, very traumatic for me, and <clears throat> I had to go behind her back and contact the state and have her license revoked uh, because she was hitting things with the car. Uh, she was legally uh, blind as well. So yeah. to see, you know, a person that I loved um, with all my heart, um, mm-hmm. I have to do this. And when I, when she said to me, you know, be, before she died, is, you know, Mike, I trust you. And I said, oh, bro- oh brother, you know. <laughs> Well, Michelle, I don't know if you're really going to trust me after I tell you this, but you can't drive anymore. And her doctor, a doctor, um, affirmed that that she should not be driving. And she said, "Well, uh, because you did this to me, I'm going to stop taking my medicine." And then two weeks, she was dead. And it took me so long um, to come out of it. The only, I just, I was having a, a breakdown. And I just started walking one day, and as I've said many times in other meetings, to just walk and talk with God and cried the whole mm-hmm. way. And, yep. you know, um, when I came back, I felt rejuvenated, and I said, well, tomorrow I'm going to walk. And for two straight years, come hell or high water, I walked and talked with God. And he said to me, in those two years, I want you to go back to college, and I want you to learn about me. And mm-hmm. so when I contacted Holy Apostles, uh, the first day I, when I walked onto the, the campus, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, in, uh, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Like I, I would think that you had the same kind of a, um, awakening. They call it a spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're home now. And I yeah. just... I said, wow, I said, I can start to heal at this place, 
but the the course that they <laughs> they put me in was apologetics. And oh. I had I hadn't been in college for thirty years, and I couldn't even understand what the word apologetics was. Mm -hmm, and for, mm -hmm. for uh, a whole month, when I would drive home uh, after the class with um, Mr. Ariba, I said, "Oh yeah, Lord, Mike Ariba." Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said, "Lord, if you really want me to do this, I, I'll do it." But I don't understand a single thing you're talking about. Everybody's talking about arguing. I said, what are they arguing about? You know, so I had no idea what was going on, but I knew that I was in the right place. And I think those patterns, uh, those things that uh, God does for us, what we cannot do for ourselves, if we just kind of hold on and, um, you know, the next day um, try to invest in ourselves and trying to learn a little bit more uh, helps mm -hmm. to understand the wisdom to know the difference, those things that we can let go and those things that we, we can change. Um, but you talked about um, the blood of martyrs was a very mm -hmm. uh, profound experience for you. Can you uh, yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Well, there's when you're underneath, um, when you're in the catacombs, if, if you've not been there, when you're in the catacombs, they're very narrow and the um, ceiling is very low. Um, and what you're really doing is you're walking underground in a graveyard. So you smell the dirt. It's kind of damp, dank. Um, and all along the walls, and I'm assuming under your feet and above your head, I don't know that, though, um, there are graves. Mm -hmm. And it just strikes me, as it struck me then, uh, that, you know, these are all Christians who were martyred, yeah. you know, so... Um, the blood of the martyrs, certainly, I think, um, is something that we don't think about often enough. Uh, these are people that are praying for us um, 2,000 years later, praying for us, uh, and I'm sure that um, that, that certainly has, uh, has had a spiritual impact on me at that moment, even though I wasn't aware of what it meant. Because remember, I didn't know much about Catholicism other than things my husband had told me. Yeah. But um, but I was um, I'm convinced that that's part of it. There's a tremendous power in the blood of the martyrs, and I was in a place where you know who knows how many hundreds or even thousands of people were in that cemetery. Mm. And uh, I don't think they know how many people are in there. You know the people that run the catacombs. Um, mm. But uh, that's that's very powerful, you know. I mean, we should uh, we should call on the saints. We should call on the martyrs all the time for their assistance. Um, and recently, um, as I'm sure you know, I was last uh, April, not this April, April 18. Um, I was diagnosed with throat cancer that was secondary. It had started somewhere else and went into my throat, but it was only stage two. And um, I'll tell you, you know, the people that I worked with, uh, people who had been my students, people I had worked with for decades. I mean, I know so many Catholics all over the world. And I just sent out a general appeal for prayers. And I could, you know, and, you know, praying to the saints and to the martyrs. And I just had such a sense that I was, it was almost, you know, when you see the football or soccer stars and they, they do something really good and the crowd picks them up and passes them all hand by hand over the crowd. Yeah. That's how I felt. 
I felt like all of these good Catholic people, living and dead, um, had literally picked me up and were passing me over their heads to Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I, you know, I went through uh, 36 radiation treatments and six chemo treatments. I looked terrible. <laughs> It wasn't the looks I'm concerned about, but I mean, the looks tell you how I felt. Yeah. And I was gray, not my hair, my skin. Yeah. And um, I went to, I finished the treatment, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a goner. And I went to the, uh, to the doctor, and I'm in remission for over a year. So, you know, so when we think about, it's, you know, when we think about the saints and the martyrs, we have to, you know, we have to call upon them as what they are. They're our friends, and they're powerful friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about the scripture passage where they uh, lowered, uh, they crippled uh, through the roof. Um, yes, yes. And, um, so your your life really parallels a lot of, those scripture passages, um, and it's interesting that your life experiences amass this ability to call upon the martyrs, to call upon the saints, uh, and those that are living, uh, because you realize, you know now, uh, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> you have the power of goodness uh, available to you, and mm-hmm. it's um, prudent to, um, to, you know, to... Get, you know, get on your knees and, and ask for help. Yes, yes, definitely. definitely. You know, uh, Ray uh, uh, Gerard, mm-hmm. uh, who interviewed you, said that um, you know a lot of people are kind of uh, blind to the fact that there is a spiritual warfare, and you spoke about oh, the yes. real presence of evil in the world, and yet, oh yes. You know, when you talk to people about this, and whether it's in my own groups and whatnot, it's like there's almost like an indifference uh, look. Yeah. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it is it, it is what it is, and it's like, well, not really. And yet you know that, and yet you're able to pray, pray mm-hmm. and ask for this help because you know that you're in a fight-for-your-life kind of a thing. Yeah, and we're actually, you know, this is something that we should be aware of, especially in this country. Um, You know, and not just this country, it's obviously all over the world now, but to me, especially as an abortion survivor, it's like I look at this and it's like, look at that law that they just passed in New York, you know? And politicians were laughing at the Catholics who were arguing against it, laughing. You know, and it's like, I think to myself, how would you feel if it had been you? You know, would you want to have had, you know, your neck cut with scissors? You know, without anesthesia, no less? You know, so, I mean, it's it's brutal. And the more you learn about these procedures, uh, one of my um, co-workers at Holy Apostles pointed out that if you uh, have a baby who's sick when you're pregnant, and they go in and they do surgery to help the baby, they use anesthesia. They don't use anesthesia in an abortion. So those babies feel everything. And it's like I think of that, and it's like now with the chemical abortions, if you read, um, you know, there's two two very good uh, abortion survivor books out right now. One of them is Gianna, I think, or Janina. And uh, the other one is, oh, isn't that awful? I can't think of the name of them. But if you look up abortion survivor, uh, books. There's two women who are uh, uh, very popular right now. Those books are very popular. 
both of them underwent chemical abortion. And they, in one of the books, they describe how the chemicals get in the lungs, they burn the lungs, the kids can't breathe. You know, it's terrible. Yeah. And all of that suffering, and people are like, it's my right, yeah. you know, and the politicians are like, yes, a woman has to have her rights to health care. That's not health care. It's murder. Yeah. You know, so um, I just, uh, you know, I think that we are in a terrible fight in this country. Uh, and I'm not referring to the political fight, but the fight between good and evil. I mean, we now want to let people, you know, just have physician-assisted suicide. I live in Vermont where we have it. Um, on weekends, uh, they don't have it on weekends. I live in Vermont on weekends. Um, and then um, with the euthanasia movement, which is huge, and abortion, it's like, it, this is crazy. We're so much more concerned with death, not in the sense of trying to prevent it, but in the sense of promoting it. And that is definitely from Satan. Definitely from Satan. That is not of God. God is the God of life. And you so, spoke in your other, um, with Marianne, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, people are. Uh, have possess goodwill because we mm-hmm. are the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. and that is what you uh, attribute your answering that calling, that sense of mm-hmm. conversion, that uh, walking the walk. Mm-hmm. The interesting yeah. thing is, I have a, a question. If you can just give me your opinion on. Mm-hmm. If, if that is true, which it is, that people are uh, created in the image and likeness of God, and therefore people have goodwill for the majority of, of the mm-hmm. time, why is it you think that when you preach or talk about truth, even in my own groups, which is uh, a 12-step program of recovery based on the Catholic precepts and teachings, that it it seems not to set them free. They just kind of fall back into a rhythm of, like we've talked about, malaise or or anger or grieving mm-hmm. or uh, resentment and, and whatnot. I, I just wonder why those strings are not plucked for those people, uh, but for, for others, I wonder if it's that poor in spirit, um, they don't really hear what's being said to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, to me, I think an awful lot of it is, well, certainly the power of habit is not to be yeah. discounted. So if you have someone who is in the habit of yeah. wallowing in self-pity or is just not able to stand up to forces that are against them, like addictions, or you know, are they just full of resentment because someone has died or they've become sick? You know, so, I mean, if you can't see past that. But the other thing is ignorance. I think, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but in the sense that if you're not, if you don't know that the help is available, you're not going to ask for it. You know, so, you know, you may offer a, a prayer to God for help, but it's, you know, it's like it's just not, you're not calling. There's a whole army of angels and of saints and of good people here on earth. Um, and there's also an army of the, of the evil. And so, you know, if you're, if you're not aware of that, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that, 
you know, they don't realize that they have a spirit. They talk about it, but they don't mean it the way we mean it as Catholics. You know, so ignorance is certainly a big part of it. Yeah, and, I can. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh. No, I was just going to say, it's also that, you know, I think sometimes people become aligned with what they think is um, is going to help them. And, you know, they don't see... Uh, a better way out of problems. I mean, you you can't spend, we have to live, you know, you have to live, you have to enjoy your life, I mean, in, in the right way. Um, you know, you have to feel joy. And if you can't, you know, if you are constantly crushed by something that has happened to you or is happening to you, you know, and you can't get out of that, that that tells me that you just need, you need some guidance. So, I mean, that's why, I mean, 12-step programs, certainly, there are good Catholic psychologists, good Catholic psychiatrists, um, great spiritual directors, good priests, good sisters that can understand what people are going through and help them. All you have to do is ask. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, some of the folks that um, attend uh, the meeting that I uh, chair, mm-hmm. um, I emphasize that don't try to understand all this, the why. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. try to believe or believe because we believe. Let us carry you for a while. Mm-hmm. And what, I, what I notice, a, a, another parallel is that uh, folks in our our group are more emotionally better, spiritually. Um, they still are grieving, but they're a lot better off than they were when they first started. And that's where um, the fellowship really mm-hmm. helps to kind of like uh, bind up people uh, through that unity and hope. And it's interesting that you went on a bus trip with your husband and your mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense of fellowship, whether you probably wouldn't have gone by yourself, but no. it's almost like we're, God is, again, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves through a communicable society. A, 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 this sense of mm-hmm. fellowship is helping us to move forward in our journey, mm-hmm. and a lot of times we don't even know that what mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, like you, you, you had this conversion Mm-hmm. And uh, where these people are coming to my groups, and it's this sense of fellowship, it's this communicableness, this trinity that we talk talk about, is is healing us. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. We are made in God's image. We're spiritual beings and also physical beings, and we have intellect and will, spiritual. Mm-hmm. But we also have the same call to communion. Remember that God is one and three. All right, so he is a community of three uh, distinct persons. Right. And we always have to be careful to say distinct persons and not different people. <laughs> but yeah. that's bad. But, um, but so we are also born inside of us this call to, um, to unity with others, to a community. That's in us. And... Um, Often we know that we want to be with others and, you know, we make choices. And that's another issue is that you have to be aware of 
who it is you're in community with. Now, I was lucky, right, because my first husband who died, uh, Jimmy, the, you know, that I went to Rome with, um, died of esophageal cancer. And um, dramatically, he, uh, he had the cancer. He'd had it a while. There was no sign except an occasional cough. We thought nothing of it. He was, uh, he was in really, really bad shape. Uh, when he was diagnosed, and he went downhill quickly. He died um, eight months after he was diagnosed, and that was with chemo. So he was beyond oper- beyond surgery. It was inoperable, but they thought that they could prolong him for a while with the chemo, and that just made him sicker. I tell you, you know, in all that time, all the eight months that it took that man to die, he suffered greatly. He's sick to his stomach. He had diarrhea. He was physically miserable. And not once, not once did he not look to God. So towards the end of his life, he died um, in March of uh, 2006. And I knew he was going to go soon, so I had called um, Father Mosey, and he said that he would come up and he was going to offer Mass on a Tuesday. So... At this time, Jimmy couldn't talk anymore, right? So I went in, because it was esophageal, I went into him and I said, you know, do you want me to get the priest to come and, uh, you know, offer the sacrament of anointing? Um, Father Moses coming Tuesday. Now, Ben hadn't talked. He hadn't done anything like that. And he looked at me and he said, yes. Wow. So I got the priest. He received the anointing. Um, he did die before Father Mosey came. He died that morning. But even then, you know, the graces that he received, the graces that I received, when he died, I was holding him, and uh, he bled to death. And when he died, um, I can't say that I saw or heard or felt anything, but I do know, I knew and just spiritually, I knew that Christ had entered that room and walked out of the room with Jimmy. Oh, wow. So I knew Jimmy didn't end. I knew he went somewhere else. Yeah. And that yeah. sustained me for all the years since. Yeah. So that communion is available. You know, that. Not I'm not speaking of the Eucharist, but I mean the communion that we yeah. can have with the saints, with, with God, yeah. with the martyrs. You know, it's real. It's just that you can't see it. it but, you, it know, has, I love, you know, I love my husband, but I don't see the love, you know? It doesn't yeah. mean you have to see to know. And it's interesting that Satan has uh, separated and divided us through social oh, yeah. media. And as it really, we're, we're, a lot of people are just outright alone too much. Yep. And what you're saying, and this is a very important question for me, uh, your answer is, did you, this sense of communion, which, again, we're going back to that serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity uh, mm-hmm. to accept mm-hmm. the things I cannot change. But mm-hmm. the cur- I'm asking for the courage to change the things that I can't through the wisdom to know the difference. That communion that you spoke of, did you acquire more of it uh, as you uh, developed uh, from your 11-month program, RCI program with uh, the mm-hmm. priest, and as yeah. you grew in um, 
in knowledge, were you able to let go of more and more of the anger and the grief and of the bad news of being, you know, of, of learning that your life was, uh, uh, well, was attempted to be aborted? Yeah, uh, certainly. And uh, again, when you walk through the door as, as a new Catholic or if you're a Catholic in name only who starts to act Catholic and be Catholic, really Catholic, it takes time to learn and it yeah. takes time to experience. But I did grow in that. And um, But one thing that I said, that I always say, and I've, I've said it on these other interviews also, you forgive. You have to forgive because I'm sure I, not only was that we receive forgiveness, so you have to forgive. But would you want to be responsible for having, you know, for holding back forgiveness to someone who needs it yeah. when you yourself have needed it, you know? So that that struck me. But the other thing that struck me is you don't want to forget. Yeah. All right, so it sounds weird because people say forgive and forget. It's like, no, because if you forget, you lose the capacity for empathy. Right. You have to remember what happened. Right. so that you can work with it. Right. So, I, you know, I, when I first, if you'll excuse the expression, came out as an abortion survivor, I mean, you know, I knew I was that, but I'd really never put the words together. And then one day one of my coworkers said, you're an abortion survivor. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. But, um, you know, you have to remember that stuff. Because if you don't remember it, you can't empathize with what people have gone through and you can't understand what they've been through. And you can't help them. Spiritually, you can't help them. You know, it's a world of difference to say, you know, I'm praying for my mother uh, who tried to abort me as opposed to saying, you know, I'm praying that, you know, that the resentment and the hostility and the anger that my mother felt that caused her to do this, you know, please heal her of all those things, you know? Yeah. yeah. You have you have more information and more empathy. Yeah, and that's what the book uh, touches on in these 12 steps is that to take a, a look at ourselves, how we were shaped, the perceptions that we uh, kind of uh, adhere to, and, and basically just break us down and to start over and look at it from a, um, the truth will set you free, opposed mm-hmm. to um, all these erroneous of, of perceptions and uh, misgivings and whatever it, it shaped you as a, as a person. Um, mm-hmm. To be, and as the book also suggests in step one, that this prayer of the faithful, it means that we can continue um, praying for the soul, the repose of the souls that have departed, um, mm-hmm. because they may not be yet in heaven, and they need us still. Yes, yes, and who knows? I mean, there's obviously no time in uh, eternity, but, you know, to the people that are there, you know, and I've heard stories that, you know, that one, if you could count time, but it, it's like the equivalent of one day. I heard, now I don't know who the saint was or who the person was, but they had uh, died and uh, were in purgatory and managed somehow to, uh, you know, I guess it was a saint, uh, heard that, you know, this person was suffering so and wanted to be prayed for and said, you know, I've been here for centuries and no one has prayed for me. And they'd been there a day. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that story is true. It's a story that I've heard at the seminary. Yeah. But 
it seems to me that even if it's not true, it gets the point across. Yeah. You know, so we don't know. My mother or father, who knows? But who knows what happened to them? You know, I mean, I know what happened to my mother, but who knows what happened to my father to make him the way he was? You know, so, um, or why it was that they ended up treating me this way. See, I, I always had held the hope. Uh, when my mother told me that she tried to abort me, I always had the hope in me that my father didn't know. And uh, it was about, um, I don't know, four or five years ago that I found out through a cousin that I didn't know existed who found me on Ancestry, had in her cellar a bunch of letters that my father had written to her father. Who was Her father was, um, my, let's see, my father was her uncle his uncle, and, you know, he knew, you know, so, you know, it's like, how do you get past that, and yet there were many things in those letters that said, you know, um, good things about me that he had never said to me while he was alive, so, you know, so we never know what's going on, we never know what has impacted people, Uh, we can know some things, but we can't even know the effects that they had. Well, that's just it. And you made mention in your other interviews that your mother was kind of like the princess of the household. Oh, she was. And My mother know, was adored by her mother and father. Adored. And, you know, you, you have to ask the question. Here's a young lady that has a trust mm-hmm. uh, because everyone around her loves her and uh, showers her with uh, good thoughts and compliments. Mm-hmm. Love, yes. And, and so that love is extended to the next person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to speak. And so here comes your your father and with his, um, maybe the way he kind of uh, massaged the conversations or exchange um, mm-hmm. dialogue that, you know, your mother bought into this person and then all of a sudden she is affected by this uh, cheating uh, and her whole life got turned upside down because oh, yeah. uh, he, yeah. he, he had one thing in, in mind and, and that is to, you know, to please himself and, 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 and take uh-huh. advantage of a person who saw the world as, uh, as an angel. As, yeah. You know, and you, you feel for a lot of women because they fall into this because men have a tendency to attract uh, women through a lot of um, lies. Flattery, yeah. Flattery. Yeah, that's exactly, I think that that's exactly what happened because I know that uh, her mother and father, I remember her father, her mother died when I was two, I don't remember her at all, but I do remember her father and he absolutely adored her and I have yeah. pictures of her when she was young and she was, you know, she was clearly a loved baby. And uh, later, a loved young woman, and had a you know very good family ties, and she married my father. And I remember her telling me mm-hmm. that uh, they weren't even married a year when um, she caught him cheating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> a year, right? Yeah. And they were married forever. You know, of course, in those days, again, people didn't divorce. So I think if they did, she probably would have. But um, you know, he ruined her life. Yeah. Well, and in ruining her life, his, his own life was ruined. He ruined her life. And in many ways, he had a dire impact on me. 
yeah. So yeah. when that when that bond of trust is is broken, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you might not have enough time in your life to ever really heal from that. Um, That's true. Yeah. What is yeah, the, and I I think that that was her problem. But um, even myself, you know, I had um, no. I can't guarantee that these are effects from the abortifacient, but I have uh, the joints on the left side of my body are smaller than the joints on the right. Mm-hmm. My head is too small for my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, my left eye wanders, as I like to jokingly say, it wanders so much I don't know why it doesn't go around the back of my head and hit my right eye. And uh, I was born with some pretty bad facial abnormalities that had to be surgically um, repaired. Um, And, you know, doctors that I have talked to said, you know, that it's entirely possible that those are the effects of uh, the drug that she took. You know, you never know how they're going to turn out, you know, 10, 20, 50 years later. So um, I don't know. But, um, you know, so we never know what the impact of things like this are when you look at people. But, you know, my mother's life was certainly, my mother died a bitter, miserable old woman. Mm. I mean, and she, um, she was, let's see, I'm 69, so she was uh, seven years older than me when she died. And I remember her saying to me, you know, even months before she died, she said, oh, I woke up again. I was hoping I'd wake up dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so unhappy. Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen the movie The Shack? I haven't. No. You got, I've heard I've heard of the book, but I haven't read it. Yeah. Re, see, see the movie. Um, there are so many um, examples of human emotion uh, mm-hmm. when someone something traumatic happens in life. Uh, mm-hmm. It. it Reminds me of what you're saying with your your mom, uh, the the main character Mackenzie. He couldn't get over uh, the loss of his his daughter. He felt responsible, and I would imagine that you felt responsible uh, when your mother woke up and cursed the day because you know had you been aborted, she would have had a happier life. I mean, that, that's where your mind can go when you're a kid. You know, yeah. I'm the cause of my mother and father's fighting and everything and you carry that Uh around for a long time Uh yeah i think you do but can you imagine if she had succeeded in aborting me then she would have had to deal with that guilt too i mean it's like wow (laughs) you know so just awful you do talk about um and we're going to wind this up pretty soon you do talk about uh the fact that when we go to heaven, hopefully we all do. We all yeah. do, but some will not. Yeah. Some will not. Yeah. Uh, that uh, we will see, or others may see, mm-hmm. uh, children that they um, had that they didn't even know because they aborted that, that life. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly I'm in, in the same situation because, as I mentioned in other interviews, I used uh, birth control pills and I used IUDs, and I did not know, and actually did not know until I went to Holy Apostles and Monsignor Liptak, who was teaching bioethics, said, you know, these don't prevent pregnancy. <laughs> they actually are abortifacients, you know, that they actually result in abortion. Mm-hmm. So... um you know, I could be in the same situation if, yeah. assuming I attain heaven, and, you know, I don't 
presume that, but I hope that, yeah. um, I may meet 10, 20 people that I didn't know I had children. That, you know, yeah. I didn't know I had these children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's, it's difficult because the other part of, uh, you know, of living uh, a somewhat secular life in the underclass and having come from the kind of family I came from is that, you know, you make stupid mistakes. Um, so people, I, I look at Catholics whose kids grow up in the church and, you know, they get married and they have children and I think, how lucky those people are. What a tremendous gift that is. Yeah. You know, that you have, you are surrounded with God's love from the moment that, yeah, of course we all are, but we don't know it, but yeah. you're surrounded by God's love and you're aware of it and you live the right life. And I mean, I work with people. I mean, it's like, man, they're like saints, many yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just, they don't lose their tempers. They're, you know, yeah. unless you're, you know, unless they're looking at the TV and they see the news, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. the politics. But, um, but, you know, so how lucky people are. Mm. And it's all there, easily accessible, mm. but they just don't know. Yeah, well, that, and that's what Father Legault, God rest his soul, would say. Oh, yeah. Uh, they don't know yeah. that they don't know. And uh, yeah. that that's something that stuck with me uh, early on. What What's the aim of your uh, memoir, your book? It's, well, uh, the aim it. is, yeah, the aim is, is the, ma the major aim is that I, not so much the story itself, as much as I want them to see what I've been through with the hopes that they can see how important forgiveness is because forgiveness does change your life. And um, that is the main thrust of the book. Obviously, it's pro-life. Um, I am rapidly pro-life. I mean, not, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't say rapidly, but I'm seriously pro-life yeah. at all stages from the moment that we're conceived right through to natural death. And... Um, you know, I think that that is the major, uh, the major problem we have today. And I mean, Satan in many ways is is giving a heck of a battle here, mm. and using our politicians and uh, system to kill more. But um, but that is the main thrust. Of course, it's a pro-life book, and I want people to read it and see. Look, this person could have been flushed down the toilet, and yeah. I could have been. I could have been, and I have a part of the book where I talk about that, you know, like what it would have been like if I'd been flushed down the toilet. I mean, would rats have just torn what was left of me apart and eaten me? I mean, who knows what goes on in the sewer? Right. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I'm very visual with that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like, but my life was worth living. And God has done great things for me. And everyone's life is worth living. And God can do great things for everyone. So, you know, that's certainly part of the book, but the, the real message is the forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can get to forgive like that is through God. Right. And, and it, it, it's fair to say that you're an instrument of God's peace and uh, you're um, continuing the mission of salvation uh, through prayer, uh, through teaching, um, you know, God only knows, um, had you been aborted, how many souls may have been lost uh, mm. with you, um, with us, 
uh, how many souls are heading in the right direction. Even the ones that departed, um, it, you, you were very instrumental in uh, their uh, accessing heaven, or maybe they're still uh, um, you know, in purgatory. But the bottom line is that you know, we don't want any soul to go to, to hell. No. Yeah, and if they're in purgatory, they know that eventually they will make it to heaven. But, um, yeah, so I think in many ways, God, one of the things about, uh, about being Catholic is we're aware that God can use us as an instrument yeah. if we're willing, if we're willing. Yeah. One last thing, I, I, when Michelle died, I was the one that held her hand. And um, it still chokes me up. Uh, my sisters were praying the rosary. Everyone else had left the room. And uh-huh. I, like you, uh, sensed the Holy Spirit in the room. Uh-huh. And I said to my two sisters, do you, do, you, do you sense this at all? And they said, no. And um, uh-huh. I knew right then and there that Michelle was in good hands. Yeah. Uh, but I was, you know, I needed a lot of help. And and it's through the Catholic Church that the truth has set me free, and it continues to set uh-huh. me free. And the uh-huh. simple thing is, is that I believe, I said the other night in an AA meeting, and a lot of people are miserable because they try to understand everything. And simply, uh-huh. God is not asking me to understand. He's asking me to trust and to believe. Uh-huh. And, and I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah. You know, spare me the details. Um, I believe, and, you know, he's he's got a plan, and... We all have to play a part in, uh, you know, furthering his mission on Earth. So, well, thank you so much for this interview. I think it was very lively. I learned a lot. Oh, I yeah. think I did too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, oh, yeah, remember you were one of my students for years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, my my first um, impression when I first met you, I said, oh, boy, this is going to be one of these, you know, no fun, and it's going to be <laughs> grueling. Oh, man. And then... You know, uh, I don't know why that is, but everybody tells me when they first meet me, they're afraid. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I have the same experiences, too. People tell me that all the time. I remember... I, I didn't make this jury duty because the uh, prosecutor, the defense attorney, said to the judge, "I simply just don't like his face." <laughs> the judge says, well, "What the hell has that got to do with anything?" And he says, "Well, I don't want him on the jury." You know, but when you said, you know, you have this, well, I don't know if you use the word weird sense of humor. Oh, I do. I got a tasty. <laughs> Your humor. I said, "Oh, I'm going to love this class." And um, the funny thing, the dynamics of the class are are interesting because none of the seminarians would ever raise their hands. Right. And I would I would always be obliged to say, you know, you guys are really, you know, you're here to be ordained, and I'm just going to take a back seat. But then when you've threatened us to go back and start reading aloud the some of the, the readings we had, I said, oh, hell, I'm going to start asking some <laughs> questions then. If you guys are not going to tell about that. <laughs> and I said, boy, what a great class. <laughs> but I realized that some of them don't understand the, the, the language all that well or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know what, that's okay. I don't mind asking questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, funny. funny. 
Well, I uh, usually end with uh, petitions of prayer. Would you like to join me in that? And then I uh, pray aloud three prayers. Would you like to join me? Yes. Okay, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you for another bereavement miracle. Thank you for uh, Dr. Cynthia Tulin uh, Wilson uh, for this fantastic interview. I hope that it reaches uh, the four corners of the earth and helps people to realize that abortion is wrong. It's just dead wrong. Um, I do pray in thanksgiving for my wife, Linda, and my daughter, Jill, my son, James. I pray for all the souls in purgatory, for all those uh, that are struggling or who have died or will die today. I pray for all my members in, in the group on Tuesday. I pray for all those uh, children that are being persecuted or, or uh, abused. Um, and I do pray in thanksgiving for all your splendor and glory. Lord, thank you for everything. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, come. thy will be done, done. on earth as as it is in heaven. Give us this day day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, trespasses. as we forgive forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not not into temptation, temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, full of grace. The, Lord is with thee. the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, blessed among, art thou women. among women, and blessed is, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, pray for us sinners. now the hour now of death. death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, Father and to the Son, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, was in the beginning is now and ever shall, and ever shall be. World without end. World without end. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Thank Spirit. you. Amen. God bless you. And uh, Thank I'll you. My prayers. And, and how's uh, uh, Mr. Wilson feeling? Good, good. He's you know he's got congestive heart failure and COPD, yeah. but he's okay. okay. He's got good spirits. Um, okay. You know, and uh, he's you know he's able to do something, so he's happy. Good. Good. And for all those that are uh, listening to this program, um, you can uh, upload anytime on Bereavement Miracles page on uh, WCATradio.com. Share the good news. And Holy Apostles College and Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut, is a great place to learn about our uh, Creator, our God, our loving God. So um, inquire. Everything is online today, so you can do it any uh, part of the country or around the world, and uh, uh, love to see you. Um, and Cynthia, thank you for everything. I hope to bump into you someday at the uh, college. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. All right. God bless you. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye now. Yep. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.